Now, I'm an emotional guy, as you may know, but, man, it's hard to come up here when the Spirit's moving and to rebound and be really funny. I know you want me to be really funny right now, so just give me a second to catch my breath. Um, Man, God is good. There's really no way I can describe it. When you come to the realization of his goodness and his grace, it just wrecks you. I made a mistake a couple weeks ago, a pretty big mistake. I'm not really happy about it. It's something that I, that I am in so many ways struggling with, and I need to admit that here today. Is that okay? Can we just have some clarity here, some honesty here as because I think everyone knows me as being an honest pastor who's very clear and very transparent. Um, I would do this thing every day that I'm not, I, I thought was good. I thought it was doing good for me. Have you ever done something every day that you thought, this is a good thing. I should do this all the time. Whatever that is, you know what that is. You said, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to try this every day. And then uh, you realize after you've done it, ah, oh, it's a big mistake. Right? I know it's quiet in here because all of you are realizing what that is in your mind. I'll, t- I'll tell you mine. I'm not ashamed. I, uh, every day I'd do this. I'd come home with gifts for my youngest daughters. Every day I would just buy a little something. And then one day I forgot to do it. And she looked at me when I opened up that door. And she looked at my hands and said, Where's my present? I said, what? I'm stressed out. I'm having one of those days. I'm not really thinking straight. She goes, there's nothing in your hands, Dad. See, the mistake I made is, uh, I know y'all are thinking it was going to get real serious in here. No, I'm going to just go ahead and let the air out of the bag real quick just so we can release the tension. No, it wasn't anything really terrible. I was just buying my daughter gifts every day. A little something, a little gum. Give them some Tic Tacs, something, just something. She had gotten to the point where she was expecting those things every single day, so much so that the day that I came home without something, she was disappointed. Now, if you're a dad, one of the roughest places you can be is in the, when you look into your daughter's eyes and she's disappointed in you. Y'all can loosen up. It's not that serious. It's just, a, it's just an opener. It's a joke. Y'all can laugh. It's fun. You know what the funny thing is? I pulled her aside. I said, Liana, listen, daddy can't be doing this every single day. Don't, don't think I'm going to come every single day with a gift. I just can't do it. She said, wait. Takes off running. And if you know Liana, she has a lot of Hair, she's running, and her hair just, like, flaps back like a big cape, and she's running. And I'm like, oh, man, what's she going to do? I don't understand. This is awkward. She grabs my wallet, and she drops it on the bed, and she goes, hey, there's money in here. <laughs> I had a couple dollar bills in my, in my wallet, and she goes, there's money in here. And then she looks at me, she pulls it out, and it's multiple $1 bills. And to her, it's just like this incredible amount of money. And she looks at me, she goes, Daddy, you can buy me presents. You're rich. Daddy, you're rich. I had to break it to her. I'm like, man, that's like $6. Like, I could barely get me a gallon of gas right now. I can't really just get you a present every day. She goes, no, Daddy, you've got money You're rich. You have a heavenly father who's rich. And what we're going to unveil today is his daily blessings for you. The kind of blessings that will never run out and that will never stop pouring into you. Because you do have a heavenly father, not like me, that's rich. And so we have a father that we can come to every day expectant of his blessings. And I want to encourage you with this right now. If you've ever experienced being in need of something from God, he will never walk through the door empty-handed. Ever will he leave 
you without his blessing. We're walking in Ephesians, and in this scripture, this is the most jam-packed, theologically mind-blowing scripture you will ever read. This is the jewel of Paul's writing. This is six chapters of Paul unraveling the beauty of who God is. How incredible he is. What he does for us and his blessings for us based on who he is as your father. Last week we, we started Ephesians 1. We barely got through two verses. Who was with me last week? Two verses, just so good. Wasn't it good? Two verses. It, I guess it wasn't that good. Three people clapped. It's all good. Listen, I'm going to try to get through 12 verses today. 12 verses this, is, this has been so stressful to me because I don't want you to miss this because I know just how important this scripture is. Because whether you believe it or not, you are wondering if your dad loves you. You are wondering if God loves you. You are wondering if he wants to bless you. You are wondering what he's done for you. And you are wondering what he thinks about you because you and I... We fail daily, and because we fail, we feel like that changes our position with God. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he says, I want to tell you about your dad. I want to tell you just how much he has to offer you, what he's done for you. Listen, my kids, when they were born into my family, they had no clue what I had to offer them. They had no clue what kind of home, what kind of car. They had no clue what I had in the bank. They didn't have much, but they, they, they were born into my family. You were born into a spiritual family. You were born into God's family when you believed in him, and you have no clue what he has to offer you. You have no idea the riches and the amount that he has available for you in his grace and his goodness. And Paul is trying to unpack that for us. And so I just, can I just preach this? Is this okay? We're going to go through nine verses. This all right? I need you with me because this is heavy-handed stuff. Paul says in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, God, bless God. Look at this scripture. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm going to teach you how to read your Bible. I went to college. I went to seminary. And, and my professors ta taught me hermeneutics, how we can understand and read the Bible. Because I know that when you leave here, when you look at that word, it's confusing. And so I need you to first look at this, repetition. In that first verse, there is repeating words. Paul is repeating them in a triune form, the Holy Trinity, three times so that you would get the picture of one thing. Here it is, blessings. Three times he repeats the words blessing, blessed, blessing. Paul wants to, wants to cram it into our brains that there are blessings that are available with our God, but you have to see it this way first. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, before we can get into the blessings, before I can show you everything that God wants to do for you, and hear me out, most of us, we see God as a heavenly vending machine. Prayers go up, that's the quarter that goes in, I tell them what I need, and beep, 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 it comes down, and that's my gift. That's my blessing. Most of our prayers are, are filled with what I want, what I need. And those are good to know. But Paul says before you get into what God can give you, you must this. Verse 3, blessed be. Paul is saying we have to first bless him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying God blesses us, but before we get into the blessings that he has for us, God must be first blessed. God is old blessing from us. 
When you realize what God does for you, when you realize what he accomplished for you through Jesus, when you realize how gracious and how merciful and how good he is, he will receive back blessing, he says. Blessed be. God is blessed. He is old praise, deserves appreciation and honor from us. Why? Paul wants us to have a reason for praising God. And I know most of the time you wake up on a Sunday and you say, I don't know if I want to go to church. I got things I got to do. I got shopping to do. I got clothes to buy. I got food to cook. I got a football game to watch. Paul says your priority first and foremost, once you have come to know Jesus, experienced what he's done, is for you to prioritize praise. Prioritize praise. God deserves blessing. Why? Why should you come to church every single Sunday? Why should you get into a house church? Why should you be consistent and not be the, the um, American Christian who goes to church once every month because you got things to do? Why? He says, if you knew that he blessed you in ways you could not even fathom, you would not stop blessing him. Most of the people say, you got to bless God and praise God for who he is. And yeah, we praise God for who he is. But Paul is not saying that. That's not what the text says. Paul says, we don't just praise him because of who he is. We praise him because of how he blessed us. Read the scripture. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us. This is why he deserves blessing. This is why you need to become a blessor, a worship or a praise or a consistent worshiper of God because whether you believe it or not, he has blessed you. Now, most of us, we think that our blessings are the things that we have in our hands, the things that we experience here on this earth. And Paul is talking to the people in Ephesus and he's saying, you got to switch the mindset. You got to stop thinking that blessing only comes with your bank account. You got to stop thinking that blessing only comes with the bachelor's degree or the boyfriend or because trust me, that's not a blessing. The, the blessing of God, all my single ladies are like, uh-uh, I, I need something, 30, come on. Got to find a good man. Good man, listen. We got to change the way we think of blessing. And if we're honest, blessing looks like things. Right? Blessings look like things and Paul is calling us to change our mind about blessing he says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with what every for those of you who feel like God has left you out has shorted you has given you the 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 raw end of the deal has not given you all that you deserve Paul is saying wake up to this fact he has blessed you with Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And Paul says something that's pretty crazy. He says every blessing that was given to you has already been given. Notice that it does not say he is blessing us currently. That's present tense. Notice it doesn't say he is going to bless us in the future. He says the reason that you should bless God, the reason you should praise him, the reason you should get up at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning and come and not be late to the first song just because you want to be fashionably late. I'm sorry. You need to be in church. Why? Because of what he's blessed you with and you didn't even know you had. He says he blessed us. Past tense. You have a full tank. Anyone right now know what it's like to operate with a full tank of gas? Feels good to have a full tank of gas, but then it hurts because of the price you have to pay. It says here that God has given us everything. He has filled our tank because he paid a price, a heavy price. It says here, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul starts, again, reminding us of the position of these things, the location where our blessings are 
is important. Our blessings are in heavenly places. They're not here. They're up there. Remember last week we learned that we were in Christ. Verse 1 says we are in Christ. Paul is trying to teach us about position, positional truth. If you would hold on to the reality of where you are positioned, you would, you would be okay when your condition on earth changes. And whether you know it or not, you are in heavenly places, the Bible says, in him. The minute you believe, the Bible says you are united with Christ and you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I know right now that's hard to believe because you're seated right here. I know right now it's hard to believe because on Monday you're going to be seated at work. But the Bible says you, when you believed in Jesus, were seated in heavenly places. And this says, and in those same heavenly places are located all your heavenly blessings. A week ago, I went to the bank, and I was having trouble with the ATM machine. I was inside, and the ATM wasn't working, wasn't working, and I had, you know, the teller knew something was wrong because I had been there like seven minutes, and I was beep, beep, beep. I was just doing what I was frustrated, and she said, is there a problem, sir? How can I help? I said, man, something's wrong with your machine. Something's wrong with your machine. I'm trying to withdraw some money, but I can't. I can't withdraw because this machine is not working. So she calls over the manager. She calls over another associate. And they're like, what is wrong with this machine? Sir, we need you. Just give us a second. And they're working on the machine. They're working on the machine. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah I fixed this machine. Like, I got to go. I got places to be. And I got to take this money out. I got to pay bills. I got to make a lot of things happen. And I need your help. Please help me withdraw this money. I was on a deadline. She said, sir, I, can we just do something real quick? Can you just, can you, we start over. Can you take your card out, put it back in, and let's start over? I said, sure. I don't know why we're doing that, but I mean, I know that we, this is your process and procedure. It's going to take more time. I don't, I don't know why I have to take this thing out. And listen, y'all, when I pulled out that card and I realized that I had put the wrong ATM card from a different bank in the ATM the, the, the shame on my face. I was so embarrassed. I go, oh, pro here's the problem. The problem is, is I'm using the wrong ATM card. It doesn't belong in, the, I can't pull the money from this bank because I'm using the wrong ATM card. The funds I'm looking for are deposited in another bank, I'm sorry. When Paul is talking about heavenly places and your blessings being in heavenly places, he's saying it's like a bank. All of your blessings are stored in heavenly, it's a bank, it's in heavenly places. And he says, you and I, we have access to this bank. It's been deposited already. The gifts, the blessings have all been deposited, but they're not here on earth. The only way you access them is if you ask heaven for them. You got to go to heaven and ask God, hey, these are the blessings that you've stored up. Pour them down on me. Essentially, you got to go to God to access the blessing. Why is this important? Because most of us, we don't go to God to try to get our peace. We, we, we try to withdraw our hope from things here on earth. We try to, is this all right? We try to withdraw our peace, our joy from things on earth. And Paul is saying your joy, your peace, your hope, all these things that you need in life, all of that is located in heavenly places. And if you ever find yourself frustrated, if you ever find yourself looking for this joy and this peace and you're not receiving it, probably you're at the wrong bank. Probably you're trying to pull from the wrong source. And, and oftentimes we try to withdraw happiness. We try to with, withdraw peace and joy from wrong sources here on earth. When every single one of these spiritual blessings are not located here. They are located in heavenly 
places. So if you are looking for joy, if you are looking for peace, if you're looking for any of these things, they're not located in the things of this world because those things are temporary. No, he has them in heavenly places where the Bible says no moth can ever touch it. It is secure. The Bible tells us that our blessings are in spiritual places. Our, this might be a surprise to you, but the joy you're looking for is in Jesus. It might surprise you, but the peace you're looking for is only going to be found in Jesus. The hope you're looking for is only going to be found in Jesus. The provision that you need is found in Jesus. Hey, listen, the location of the deposit determines where you make a withdrawal. The location of the deposit determines where you make a withdrawal. I was at the wrong bank. Hey, we got to stop going to these places that we know will not fulfill us. We got to stop going to these areas that we know are not meant for us to withdraw from. Stop looking anywhere else. Paul says your blessings, every single one of them are located in heavenly places. That's why you should pray more. That's why you should worship during the week. That's why you need to get into a house church. That's why you need to be in church because these things are accessed only spiritually. There is no tangible thing you can go get that can fill this void for you. Paul is saying it is about the position, the, the location of these things. Our blessings are located in heavenly places. We are united in Christ. And because of that, all of our blessings are in him. So let's stop going to the wrong ATM. He says they are in heavenly places. Why is this important? Like why is Paul repeating over and over and over again that it, the stuff you're looking for is in heavenly places? That you're not even on here. You're in heavenly places. You're seated in heaven. He was writing to the people of Ephesus who served gods that were land gods. They're Artemis and, and um, Diana, th those two gods that they served were gods of the land. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's, he's trying to show them that there's an upgrade available. He's saying, listen, the gods that you serve... The gods that you believe in, the gods that you trust in, are land gods. My God, our Savior, is a heavenly God. He's in heavenly places. He says, he's in heavenly places. This week I was talking to Joe. Joe was playing bass today. Come on, put your hands together for Joe. We were talking about our phones, and we were talking about the storage on our phones, and we were talking about how much hard storage we have on our phone. And I said, man, do they really have a phone that has a terabyte in it already? He goes, yes, they already have a phone that has a terabyte. I'm like, man, I need that. And he goes, why are you worried about that? It's all in the cloud anyway. Why are you worried about it being on your phone? It's all in the cloud. He didn't even know he was talking theology to me. Paul was talking to these people in Ephesus. He goes, you're so focused on what you have in your hand, on what you see around you. And you don't even know your blessings are in the clouds. You don't even know that it's all in the clouds, that there is more. The James Webb telescope showed us just how expansive the universe really is. Paul was telling them, you don't even know how great my God is. You don't even know how much space he has. This is why I think our blessings are in heavenly places, because it's too innumerable to hold. The blessings of the saints can't be here on this earth, Paul says. They can't be in this land. They can't be held in some bank, and they can't be secluded to some person here on this earth. They have to be in heavenly places because they're, they're too much. It's too great. It's too much for us to handle. It's in the clouds. Paul says, every spiritual blessing in Christ, just as he chose us in him, verse 4, he chose us in him. This section here is Paul talking to us and reminding us that we have been selected by the Father. Write that down. These verses, God has selected us. Our Father selects us. He chose us. I know that that might be difficult for some of you. Because when you think of your life and the things that you struggle with and the things that you've done, why would God choose you? 
Why would God choose me when I struggle with the sin that I struggle with, when I have these strongholds and these things that I keep failing in? The Bible says he chose us. Look at Paul. He uses the word us, meaning us and him, every believer. Paul is saying God chose us in him. Again, our position. Where are we? We are in Jesus. And the whole reason that he chose us is because we are in him. We don't get chosen because we're good. We don't get chosen because we tried hard enough. We don't get chosen because of our education. We don't get chosen because we work hard. We get chosen because we're in him. We are chosen because we're in Christ. And that, that right there should put an end to your, 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 your struggling to please God. You're struggling to make God love you more. He can't love you more than he already loves you now because he loves you as much as he loves his son because you are in him. You are in him before, when did he do this? What did he give you? Every spiritual blessing. Who gave it to you? God. When? Before the foundations of the world. Before Genesis 1-1, this is called eternity past, before that was even laid, before God said let there be light, before animals were created, before he told the mountains to rise and the waters to stop, he chose you. He chose you. How? The Bible says that before you were born, God knew you. That's a scary thought for me because if you know me, you know some things I don't want to tell anybody. And yet the word tells us that before we were born, he knew us and still decided to choose us. How can that be? Why would God do that? It says he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we would be what? Holy and blameless when? Before him. Newsflash, we're not holy and blameless. There's a purpose behind his choosing, and the purpose is that he wants you to be holy and blameless, but he knows you can't. He knows you can't be. He knows that you can't, so he has to put you in him. It says that we would be holy and blameless before him in what? Love. So it says we're in him, we're in him, we're in him. Then it says now it's in love. Why did God choose you? Because he loves you. Paul is unraveling a love story. And he's saying when God chose you, he chose you because he loved you. Even though you might feel unlovable. Even before you loved him, the Bible says we did not choose him, he chose us. It says that he did this in love. Now listen, I, I want, I, I, I didn't, I don't want to go through this deep theological structure, but there are people who will teach you that he chooses you and that you don't have a choice. It's not up to you. I'm not going to drop a whole lot of theology on you, even though I could. I would love to. Go to your house church pastor this week, and they'll unpack it for you. But let me just explain this to you. If he chooses you in love, love has a choice. That makes sense? When you go ask someone to marry you, you are asking them to choose you by their own free will. You love them, and you hope they love you back. You're asking them, will you choose me because I choose you, and then you wait. What Paul is teaching us is that God chose us in love, meaning he's not going to sit there and say, I choose you, hit you over the head with a hammer like a barbarian, and drag you to the cave against your own will. Forcing you is not love. God does not force us to love him. He wants you want to experience the kind of love that chooses you. You want to experience the kind of love that says, I want you. Why would God want anything less? God wants to experience that same kind of love. The kind of love that says, God, 
I want you. So he chooses us in love. It's a, it's a love story. I'll sing Taylor Swift if I have to to teach you. It's a love story. And he says he's chosen you in love. In verse 5, he predestined you to, be, uh, to the adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He, we weren't originally part of his family. That was the, the Jewish people. That's why it says we are adopted. He, he chooses us. That's what's so beautiful about this picture. Because when you have a baby, you can't choose what it is. I remember when my first son was about to be born, I'm like, he's gonna be a basketball player, he's gonna be like six foot tall, he's gonna do all these great things. And, and like I was already, like my dad thought the same thing about me. My dad said, hey man, my son, when he's born, we're gonna go fishing and we're gonna do all this great stuff outside. Bruh, I don't wanna be outside. I bet my dad, if he could characterize who I would be, it would be someone that would be fishing and that would love the outdoors. Bro, I want to be inside. I'm good. I have a latte and I'm good. When you have your own children, you can't choose. Look at the, look at the, look at the difference. He says you're not just his children. You're adopted children. Meaning God knows you and he adopted you anyway. Meaning he fully knows you and he adopts you anyway. Meaning everything about you, everything about you is known by God. And he chooses you anyway. Some of you, that's a struggle. For some of you, it's a struggle to believe that God can choose you based on the things that you've done. There is this, there is this saying, this thing that, that, that overwhelms me, that true love is a love that is only true if you're fully known and fully loved. True love is being fully known, all of the things that you're ashamed of, and then still love. You're adopted. He knows everything about you, where you come from, your history, your background, your mistakes. And he says, I still want you. You are fully known by God, and you're fully loved. That's why he's saying you're adopted. You are adopted as sons and daughters. How? Through Jesus Christ. None of this it's possible without Jesus, which is why we should praise him more. Because what we get comes from what Jesus has accomplished through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Here's the reality about how God operates with us. Joyfully. It says this is all according to the pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. It was a pleasure for God to choose you. It was a pleasure for God to send Jesus to die for you. It was a pleasure for God to deal with your insecurities and your troubles and your problems and your mistakes. It is not taxing to him. He is not overwhelmed by your struggle. It's a good pleasure to him. He wants, it's like he's a, I hate to say it, Chick-fil-A employee, my pleasure. Those people, I mean, it's God's chicken anyway. Why not just use it as an illustrate? God, forgive me right now for calling you the Chick-fil-A guy. Listen, I'm just saying, my pleasure is what he says. It's God's pleasure to save you. It's God's, it's not too much to ask for. He wants to do it. It's his good pleasure. And it says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of of his grace. He goes, before we move forward, before we, before we go on to the next section, just know that this is to the praise of his glory, of his grace. It is all about grace. This is all possible because of God's grace. He says, we got to praise him after every section that we go through. You will find this statement, to the praise of the glory of his grace in verse 6. You'll see it also in verse 12, and you'll see it in verse 14. He is responding to us, reminding us after everything that he's done, you should praise him. After everything that he's accomplished in you, you should praise him. You should praise him to the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. He favored us in the beloved. He favored you. He had grace on you in the beloved. That's Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we find favor. Not because of your education. 
not because of anything else but Jesus. He favors us in the beloved. Verse 7. I'm going to try to pound through these next four verses. You guys ready? So we were selected by the Father, chosen by him. Verse 7, we're saved by the Son. Selected by the Father, saved by the Son. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. In him we have Redemption. What is redemption? Redemption is a term used to describe the buying back of a slave. To redeem something is to buy back something that was once held in, ho in, in hostility or in captivity. It, it says, in Jesus, again, the positional truth, where are you? We are in him. That never changes you are in Christ in him we have redemption we have been bought back now I don't know if you know how to struggle I'm going to give you an idea of what it's like to struggle have you ever put something on layaway and no only this side's got some layaway people in here listen back in my day we could put things on layaway and we used to shop at this place called wieners not even joking who shopped at wieners before Look, all these people are from the hood. Right here, put your hands up. If you have your hands up, either you're from the hood or you drove to the hood, which makes you cheap. <laughs> wieners. We would go to wieners at the end of every school year, and we'd pick out clothes for the new year, and we'd put it on layaway. That's my mama. Oh, my God. My mom's in church, y'all. Y'all pray for me today. It says... It says that we have redemption. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correlate this with layaway. I remember one day I had some shoes I wanted to buy really badly. They were the, the all black and yellow Deion Sanders. They were incredible. They had a little strap on them. Who remembers the Deion Sanders with the strap? Had a little Nike check. It was gold on it. Chris, you're here? Yeah, Chris is over here. He's cheering me on. He's the only one who knows. I could only get them on layaway, and they were a size too big. A size too big because I couldn't find the shoes in my size. I got to grow into these things. I mean, that's how we did things. We put them on layaway. I would ask my dad every once in a while, can you take me to the store so I can go look at them? We'd drive back to the store. I'd go to the counter. I'd say, hey, we got some shoes on layaway. It's under this name. Can you? It's like we were going to a prison trying to see an inmate. I know that they're back there somewhere in the code. They're back there and they're lonely. I want to see them. They'd bring them out. Here you go. You can't touch them. Wow. It looks so good. Smell them. It's awesome. Next week I'll put 20 more dollars in here. And we would wait and we would wait and we would wait because the price wasn't fully paid. You did not have access until the price was fully paid. It was layaway. Let me explain to you why this is important for you. You were not put on layaway. Your life, your salvation, your joy, every spiritual blessing, God did not put $50 down and said, I'll be back next month. No, no, no. The Bible says that you have full redemption. The price is fully paid, and it was paid for by Jesus. You don't have to be like me, going to wieners, asking to see the inmates that you have back there. No, no, no. You don't have to ask God, God, can I just get a little bit of joy? Can I see a little bit of my future? Can you, can you just show me some reasons to hope? No, the price has been fully paid. And because the price has been fully paid, we have full redemption in Jesus Christ. You should be shouting a little bit louder than that because you and me, if we're honest, we don't really believe that we have access to these things. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9:15, for this reason, for this reason, Christ is our mediator of this new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He says, you have a promise and it's eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9:15. He says, those who are called will receive this. It's, it's not on layaway. It's, it's yours. Now, how? Now that he has died as a ransom to set us free from the sins we've committed. 
Jesus Christ paid the price in full. And because of that, we can have access to this, this eternal beauty that he has for us. These, these eternal blessings that are in the heavenly places. The Bible tells us that because Jesus died, the ransom has been paid and we've been set free from the sins that were committed. The price has been paid. It says in Hebrews 10, 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, Jesus came. Our price has been paid for in full by Jesus. We have redemption. Hey, look, every once in a while, I'll take my kids to the store. And they'll look at things that they want, and I, I have to check the price. I have to look at the tag. I got to make sure, oh, is this too expensive? And then if it's too expensive, I'll tell my kids, hey, that's, I can't do it right now. Oh, let's find some. I like it. It's nice. But let's find something that's a little bit cheaper. And then we go and we go and we go. And we're trying to, it's too expensive. That's, that's the conversation. That might be too expensive. Let's, let's find something that's cheaper. Hey, I'm glad that when God was surveying the world and he came to me and he saw the level of my sin, he didn't say, mm, it's going to be too expensive to pay for him. It's going to be too much because that means I'm going to have to send my son. Let's find someone else. Let's find someone who's done a little bit better in his life. Let's find someone that won't require me to send my son and have him sacrifice himself and die. No, when Jesus gave himself for us, God was confirming to me and you that when God looked at the price, he said, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Flipped over that price and he says, you're not too expensive. You're exactly what I can afford. The Bible says he did all of this through his blood. He did all of this through his blood. The forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to what? Like my daughter said in the beginning, the riches of his grace. How is this possible? I sin every day. You sin. We will never stop sinning. Until Jesus comes, there are, my theology teacher taught me this, three tenses of salvation. Three. Justification, when you're saved. Sanctification, you're becoming more like Jesus and daily being saved. Not that you have to be saved, but the Bible says you are asking God to make you more like him. That's sanctification. Then there's glorification. We will not be perfect. We will not have a new body and a new, and a new nature until Jesus comes and we are glorified with him. Right now, if you've already been saved, you've been justified. Now you're working to be sanctified. The Bible tells us that according to his riches of his grace that have to constantly be dealt out to us because we sin daily. When my daughter came to me and said, Daddy, you can buy this because you're rich. She was wrong. I'm not. Let me tell you something about your dad in heaven. Oh, he's rich in grace. And the Bible says that he is so rich in grace, the Bible says. It says that for us, when it comes to his grace, he lavishes it on us. Verse 8, which this grace that he's rich in, God is not rich just in money. God is not, the Bible tells us he owns everything. He's not just rich in, in goodness. The Bible says he's rich in grace. And if there's one thing I want God to be rich in is grace because I need it. You need it every day. His, his bank account of grace will never run out. The Bible says that he is rich in grace, so rich that he lavishes it on you and me. Paul, this scripture, verses 3 through 12, is a whole run-on sentence in the Greek. Paul is trying to talk about the goodness of God and the salvation of Jesus, and it's a run-on sentence. You might see periods back there, but there are no punctuations in the Greek. Paul is just, you ever talk to a kid who's really excited? They're really excited about something. They can't stop talking about it. My daughter, Bella, talks about a hamster. Ask her about a hamster. She has an Amazon list of what she needs for her hamster. Y'all, it's $478. <laughs> Mention hamster to her. She's going to talk and talk and talk and talk because it's incredible. This scripture that we're in is Paul talking and talking, and he can't hold it back. It's like Paul has opened up a treasure chest filled with jewels, and as he raises the jewels to look at them and they fall, he's trying to describe them. He can't stop. 
He said, our God is so rich in grace. I could do a whole sermon on rich in grace. He says, but I, we have to move on. He's not just rich in grace. He lavishes it on you and on me, meaning it, the amount of grace that he has is plentiful. It's over the top. It's more than enough. It's extravagant. It's too much. It's almost ridiculous. That's why John 1.1 1, 1 says it's grace on top of grace on top of grace. It is more than we could ever ask for. This is God. His, his, his grace, he lavishes his on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. You saw that again, good pleasure. It says it right there in verse 9. It also says it in verse 5. Good pleasure, good pleasure. Paul is trying to remind us that God is happy to do this. He wants to overwhelm you with his grace. You don't have to be afraid, God, it's me again. God, I did that thing I told you I didn't want to do again. I did it. He said, hey, God wants to do it. He is most glorified when he does it. I, I, a professor told me this once. The crown jewel of God's creation was not Adam and Eve in their perfected state. That was not the crown jewel of his creation. The crown jewel of God's creation is Adam and Eve and sinners being saved by his grace. That is the crown jewel. We don't have to be ashamed to go to God with our failures. We don't have to be ashamed to go to God in the areas in our lives where we, where we mess up. It says, it is his good pleasure which he set forth in him. Regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ. Meaning the mystery is God wants to bring everything together in Jesus. Things in the heavens and things on earth. Verse 11. And we're almost done. One verse. We can get the band up here. And we'll be done right here in one verse. In him we have also obtained an inheritance. Paul is saying even though he's given you grace, even though he lavishes with you, he's so rich in grace, he overwhelms you with grace. It is an unending supply of grace for the failures of your life. The Bible says not only does he do that, but in Christ you and I we obtain an inheritance. An inheritance is something that you don't earn. An inheritance is something that a family member gives you because you're part of the family. No, it's hard to believe. You are part of God's family. And he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And he has given you an inheritance, which is eternity with him. You don't have to work for that anymore. You have obtained notice it doesn't say you have to earn it's yours salvation eternity with god all of it it's yours it's a part of your inheritance you have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will to the end to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. What's the end? Why does God select you? Why does Jesus save you? That we would be to the praise of his glory. God did all of that to get glory. He did all of that because he wants to one day stand there and say, look at what I've accomplished. I saved you. I forgave you. I blessed you even though you didn't deserve it. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. We have an inheritance to the praise of his glory. We are lavished with the riches of his grace to the praise of his glory. We have redemption. We've been bought back through his blood to the praise of his glory. The forgiveness of all of our wrongdoings to the praise of his glory. Listen, church, we have to be a church who brings him glory, who praises him 
because we realize what he's done. We should worship here with the loudest voices we have because of all that he has accomplished for us. And I pray as we continue to work through these scriptures that you would find more reasons to praise. That you would find more reasons to give him glory. Because the Bible says he's accomplished so much for you. Because the Bible says the Father loves you and picks you. And Jesus Christ has saved you. And he's done it for free. He's done it for free. Hope that that encourages you today. Hope that you go out this week and feel a little bit lighter. Because you realize all that he has released you from. And you can have confidence when you come in here next week. And give him praise. And give him glory. Come on, won't you stand up with me? I want to pray for you right now because these concepts are really hard, but I pray that they landed and they hit home. Why don't you bow your head and let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you've picked us, that you chose us even though we don't deserve it, that you have lavished us with your grace that through Jesus we've been redeemed and we've been forgiving of our wrongdoings and that you have given us this inheritance and you enjoy doing it. So God, today we, we give you praise. We say thank you right where you're at. Why don't you just tell him to your, just tell him thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Because we don't deserve any of this. Thank you for coming and for dying and for saving us through your blood and your sacrifice. Would you change us this week? Would you move in us this week? Would you, would you remind us this week whenever we feel a little bit more like, like we did yesterday or the day before? Would you remind us of all that you've done and how good you are? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, God, for all your blessings. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, put your hands together. Put your hands together.